it Gary that handles the lights? Yes. All right. Remember, like an early morning service? My glasses are getting dark. I would like to see all of you all. Uh, I need help with the sermon this morning. I need help with sermons every morning, but... Uh, all right, let me... Who's a good reader? Who can read well right here? You can read well? Like, are you the, are you the mother, the sister, the what? Um, the aunt. The aunt. Okay, see that? Can you see that? It's in small print. That's why I need to pick on someone like you. Okay. So when, when it's time... I need you to read that, so ignore the first part of my sermon and memorize that. Okay. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a poem, so. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, where did Jeff go? They left? Is it something I said earlier? And, and you took my seat. I mean, how did that happen? Oh, it's your seat. Yes. Yeah, uh, that reminds me, my wife and I visited a church close by us, and every Sunday, we were in someone's seat, literally. So we went to Sunday school class. This is an absolute true story, not that preachers make up untrue stories, but this is absolutely true. <laughs> and we went to Sunday school class, and there were 15 chairs in the Sunday school class. We took the first two to the left, my wife and I were sitting there, the teacher and the two of us. And here comes three people, right? So 15 minus two is how much? 13, very good. You're in accelerated math. 13. 13 chairs empty. These three people come in, and what's the first word the lady says to us? You're in our seat. So my daughter, we were telling my daughter this, and she goes, Dad, apparently they don't want you there. You know, but that's not true. We joined the church and loved every minute of it and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, how many of you have heard me preach before here? Oh, my goodness, and you're still here. That's good, and come back. Did you already get advance notice that I was going to be here? No. So that's, oh, thank you for that. Yeah. How many of you like a receipt or your refunds back? Yeah. This, this kind of reminds me when I launched the church in Ohio, uh, Redmond Funeral Home is where we met. And I met with Mr. Uh, Redmond, and I was, what, 27, 28 years old? No, 29 years old. And I said to Mr. Redman, I said, Mr. Redman, we're about to launch a church. I have absolutely no money. It's just me, me, my wife, and our two children, and maybe some straggler that's going to come by, but we're going to launch a church here in Stowe, Ohio. And I said, what do you do at 4.30 in this place? He said, we don't do anything. I mean, there's no funeral services, nothing. I said, I would like to use your chapel for free with one condition. And the condition was, if any of my church members die we will use Redmond Funeral Home. And that's how we launched our church. So this is kind of reminiscent of this and, uh, for me. Not that any of you are going to die, but you could die on your way to the bathroom and back. Or you could lose weight, you know. So how many, you know, uh, my father and Clint Eastwood are my two favorite theologians. I always say this all the time. I love my dad. Uh, he died in 19, I mean, in 2002. And, uh, but he's always been my hero, and I make him out to be bigger than he really probably is, and I attribute things to him that he probably never said, but he probably would have said had he you know, lived long enough kind of thing. He's my hero. And one day when we were growing up, my father came to me, and he said, put his arms around me, and basically he said, son, I just want you to know something. And I hate those big people talks. You know what I'm saying? The moment your parent comes to you, you know this is not going well, right, at least in your mind. He said... You'll discover something as you grow older. 
Some days are crappy, and other days are crappier. <laughs> so when you're like 13, that's really encouraging, you know? Then I remember later on, he came by and he said, son, remember what I told you? Yep. Some days are crappy, other days are crappy. And he said, yes, and other days you're going to find yourself at the bottom of the outhouse looking up. <laughs> How many of you have ever used outhouses? Yeah, it's not a good picture. I'm just telling you. I said, oh, man. But that's true. Think about your life. Some days are crappy. Am I right? And other days are crappy. Really is. If you've not ever experienced that, you're very fortunate. Because most of us have. We, we celebrate. Uh, did you know that? What's, what's this Friday? It's, it's an anniversary day in this church. What's this Friday? Huh? It's two years celebration. Yeah, two years uh, this Friday. Who to- Gary, you're the one that told me, right? Gary? Okay. I just want to make sure he's awake. <laughs> All right. So, but we, we celebrate Easter. Am I right? What came before Easter in the life of Jesus? Friday came. What happened on Friday? He dies. What happened before Friday? Thursday comes, right? He has the Last Supper and he's beaten. Remember that? I think Monday morning he looked down the road and he said, what? Thursday's coming. Friday's coming. Saturday silence is coming. Just to get to Sunday. I know Jesus would have never used this word. Just don't, when you get to heaven, don't tell him I said he said this. But I think he looked at it and he said, man, it's going to be a crappy week. <laughs> you know? One of, my, one of my disciples will what? Betray me? One of my disciples will deny me? All of my disciples will run away from me? It's going to be one crappy week. So what do you do when you at the bottom of an outhouse, and it's a crappy day. I want to show you a picture. Gary? Gary? <laughs> yeah. The, the 9 o'clock, 9.30 service did not have any of this vi- audiovisual. Gary said to me, do you have any pictures? Because the 11 o'clock service needs that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is about the 11 o'clock service, but this is a, that's a cool picture, is it not? Yeah. I mean, that's my daughter there. Uh, that's Lucy, right? My grandmother. And who do you think that guy is? That is one handsome-looking guy. I can see why my wife married me. Uh, somebody asked me one day, "Aren't you ever tempted? You know, pre- preachers and other people are tempted to to commit adultery and stuff. You know, everybody's falling." And one day we were talking in class and I said, "Dr. Henry, aren't you ever tempted?" I said, "No, man. I've looked in the mirror. I'm just glad my wife even likes me. You know." But see that lady. I want to read an obituary for you from, the, uh, it's from St. Petersburg, Florida. It's about that lady. Uh, retired Southern Baptist missionary Lucy Wright Parker, whose long and fascinating life mirrored 20th century Christian missions, died February the 18th in St. Petersburg, Florida after a long illness. She was 92. The native Georgian stood 4 foot 11 inches tall, but she outlasted Japanese occupation forces, World War II, cancer, 
several other near-fatal illnesses, and decades of upheaval during 42 years as a single missionary nurse in China and Korea. Her 17-year nursing stint in North China started in 1923 and spanned the Japanese occupation of the region in the 1930s. She worked through bombing raids, once assisted in 20 consecutive surgeries as bullets riddled the hospital where she worked. As war raged in 1943, she headed back to China from the United States, determined to help a legendary missionary doctor, Bill Wallace, in South China. It took her two years to reach him, over the, by the way of Europe, across Africa, India, and over the hump of the Himalayas into China. Reaching China was the easy part of the trek. She spent another year in western China waiting... <coughs> excuse me. She spent a year in western China uh, waiting uh, uh, for his staff. During that time, she traveled the famed Burma Road, operated a medical dispensary that treated up to 90 patients a day. She finally tracked down Wallace and his hospital staff who were on the run from the Japanese forces. The war ended a month later, and she helped Wallace reopen his mission hospital. Parker brushed off talk of her bravery. There's nothing heroic about me, she said. What I did was in the line of duty. It didn't occur to me to be afraid, but sometimes when I look back, I wonder why I wasn't. God was holding me up and helping me over the rough places. There were plenty of rough places. Besides sometimes overwhelming ex external hardships, Parker nearly died four times during a three-year period from complications caused by a perforated stomach ulcer. She eventually had two-thirds of her stomach removed, but I was able to work in between each of the three operations. It didn't hold me up for long. When things get me down, I look up. I know where my strength comes from. So what do you do when things get you down and when you're discouraged? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is having his Garden of Gethsemane moment. He is discouraged. Peshar, one of, the, one of the rulers, has locked him up, beaten him up for preaching the word of God. Look at the verse. Do we have the verse up there? Oh, the verse is here too. Good night. When I, next pastor I'm going to have, they're going to have one of these things. So it says, when the priest Peshar, son of Emar, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Imagine preaching what God has asked you to preach, sharing what God's asked you to share with the people to whom God has sent you, and the reward for that, rather than people saying, thank you, they say, we're going to lock you up and put you in prison. In fact, Jeremiah will call Peshaw the terror on every side. And he will do a prophecy of Peshaw a little bit later on. We're not interested in Peshaw this morning. What we're interested in is, how did Jeremiah overcome the discouragement? How did Jesus overcome the discouragement. Any of you know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane prayer? Just raise your hand. Yeah, how many times did he pray? He prayed at least three times. In fact, he prayed so desperately that he began to what? Sweat drops of blood. That's, I mean, when's the last time you people prayed until, you know, 
Most of us, our mind fades after about two sentences. Right? He was so discouraged. He said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. That's how much pain he was in. And when he turned to look at the disciples who had walked with him, and he said, stay here, right? And watch for me as I go off to pray. What were they doing? They were sleeping. He comes back and said, what the heck are you doing? I don't, say, I don't think he said what the heck. <laughs> okay, it's not a biblical word. But, you know, I think he said, what is, I mean, can you not even stay awake with me in that loneliness and discouragement? So what do you do? First thing that you need to understand about discouragement is that you need to expect it and prepare for discouragement in every part of your life. So if you're a born-again Christian, before you became a Christian, Satan left you alone. Did you know that? Because you were doing good by yourself. The moment you said, Christ is the Lord of my life, you have a target on your life, and Satan comes. Satan had a, uh, any of you go to garage sales? I love garage sales. You look too young to be going to garage sales. How old are you? 36. I'm going to see when I was 36, what year that was. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm, really, I'm, I'm going to see what year I was 36. This is, uh, I love Apple. It's got a calculator. 1952 plus 36. Oh, 1988. Good night. You're really young. But Satan had a garage sale. And he had, what are some things that Satan tempts you with? Pride, right? He had to price on pride. What are some other things? Sex. He had to price on that. So he had all those prices, but there was one that he didn't have a price on. And someone noticed it and said to Satan, you got a price on everything but this one. Why? He said, because that's my chief tool. With this tool, I can get into the heart and pry it open and do whatever I want. Discouragement is my chief tool. Think about living a Christ-like life. Not every day, is a mountaintop experience. Am I right? Some days are here. And some days there's an awful silence of God and you're wondering, where the heck are you? Can't you see what I'm going through? And you become discouraged. How many of you know who Spurgeon is? Spurgeon, yeah. Do you like Spurgeon? You do? How many of you don't like Spurgeon? Oh, everybody. Okay, so I need to say something nice about Spurgeon. All right, so he was a prince of what? Preachers. Do you know what he suffered from most in life? Listen to what he says. I wish, I would not wish upon my worst enemy the depths of despair and discouragement I often feel for weeks or months at a time. The prince of preachers says, I, I would never wish, I would never wish the depths of despair and discouragement I often feel for what? Weeks or months 
at a time. How many of you knew who John Wesley is? Any of you? Yeah, so far you guys are doing better than the students I teach. You know, he married the wrong woman. He married poor. There were literally times when his wife would drag him around the house by his hair. In your case, you wouldn't have any problems. But when I saw, you know, she's looking at you. Yeah, man, I've been married 42 years. Had my wife drug me by my hair the first day, I would have shaved that sucker. <laughs> Quit. Discouragement. Oh, that's why you, that's why you did that? <laughs> really? Oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, he could be pulled by the ear. Have you ever wondered why, how preachers pick the sermons they do? I, I told this to the 9 o'clock class. When your pastor called me, he said, I need a favor. He said, I'm stuck in uh, New York. Would you preach for me? I said, well, you know, I was going to meet with the Pope today <laughs> in preparation of Good Friday, but what are friends for and I'll come. And after I hung up the phone, I turned to my wife and I said, Pat, I don't have a sermon file. A lot of pastors have sermon files. You know that, right? I don't have one. And Andy Stanley had not preached, so I couldn't download one. <laughs> You know, so I said, I said, what the heck do I talk about? Then I thought about that story about Jesus, what he faced. Then I thought about my wife. Can we have the next picture? Gary? Yeah, those are, those are the three roses, and I'm the thorn. That's, this is Rosie Brewer, my mother-in-law. This is Rose Kendrick, my mother, and that's Patricia Rose, my wife. And uh, my mom is 93, my mother-in-law is 84, early stages of dementia. My mother-in-law now lives with us. My wife gave up her job as a nurse practitioner to give 24-7 care. My mother is going to be, she came to our house to live for two weeks, left because she thought I wasn't going to take her to this symphony because she loves music. But then she called me the other day and I said, Mom, I'm going to, uh, you know, put the gliding stair, you know, do that. And she said, well, if you do that, I'll move in. And I should have never told her that. But anyways, <laughs> my mom's coming in. So whenever I go to preach, my wife always comes with me. She was here the last time. In fact, my son was here the last time, remember? This time she couldn't come. Because we went to my mother-in-law and said, Rose, time to get up. She refused. Pat put her, said, you need to take a shower, put her in the shower, put her in the little seat, and said, hey, you need to sit down. Instead of sitting down, she falls on the shower floor, because that's how stubborn she is. Me? I just left her in the shower, closed the door, turned the lights <laughs> off, and, you know, I said, come back. My wife is talking to her. I said, Mom, do you hear me? Yeah. You know we're going to go to the service today with Peter. Really? So you need to get up, Mom. And um, she wouldn't get up. So I watched my wife reach down, put her arms around her mom, pick her physically up, and hold her close to her, turn her around. Finish the shower, finish the hair, washing. 
but I realized that my wife was extremely discouraged. Mom's been living with us a year. Now, it's not like talk talking to a child. When you tell a child something, they're going to learn. Am I right? When you tell an 84-year-old that has onset of early uh, dementia, they're not going to learn. There's no need to yell at them. There's no need to argue with them. You just need to love them. But I want you to know, some of you have been caregivers. In fact, after the 9 o'clock sermon, someone came to me in the back and said, Brother Peter, I want you to know I know what you're going through because I went through that. It's a, it's a killer on my wife. It's a, there are days when she wakes up and says, it's so much easier to put her away, pay for care. But I love my mom. See, so the road to the garden for Jesus and my wife's feeling came to the realization that the thing that we needed to hear most this morning was what, how do I overcome discouragement? Number one, expect it. Expect it. For those of you taking notes, listen, expect it. We've been married 42 years. I, in my mind, I think all 42 years were awesome years. In fact, I remember one day when I was preaching, my wife was sitting to the left, and I said, uh, we've been married 25 years. Pat, how many of those 25 years you think were good years? This is in church, <laughs> right? There's like 700 people sitting in that church. People are listening. What does she say? The last six months. <laughs> Do you know why we've been married 42 years? There are two, two big reasons for that, for those of you there. How long have you been married? 26 years? Oh, six years. Because I was going to say, man, you look really young. <laughs> yeah, six years. You know what the secret of our marriage was? Number one, we never had a gun in the house. <laughs> Seriously. Because my wife announced one day, Southern Baptists will not forgive divorce, but they honor and forgive homicide. <laughs> right? That's true. And number two, I've never taken any medicine my wife prescribed. Earlier this year, I had shingles. Any of you have ever had shingles? It is a, am, am I right? It's, it's a killer. It's painful. And my wife says, here, let me prescribe you something. And she prescribes it. I have shingles medicine for sale, for those of you that need it, because I didn't take it. Uh, but, you know, discouragement in marriage happens. Sometimes you look at your husband and say, really? You know? Husbands never looked at their wives and say, really, because you're just fortunate, you know. But you say, really? You look at your children, and you go, oh, good night, I invested all this in you, and, and you do what? I have a good friend. Her daughter, last week, broke, and she's like 19 or 20, broke a covenant with her mom, uh, fell because she was running from something and you know, just tore up her face. And I said to her, I said, so how's today? And she said, well, my prodigal daughter, you know, had surgery. 
That's how she refers to her daughter, my prodigal daughter. And she will say, this is not what I had planned for. Any of you ever said that? This isn't what I had planned for. So what do you do? Expect it. Now look at verse 7. Do we have verse 7? I love this. In verse 7 it says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. One of the things Jeremiah does, who is he talking to? He's talking to God, and what is he saying to God? Think about how many of you would have the nerve to say, Hey, God, you you deceived me. You lied to me. Here's the thing. Expect discouragement and prepare for it. But be honest and tell God how you feel. There's no need to hold on to that. You don't want to be a prisoner to that discouragement that hangs over you. You need to tell someone who can make the difference. He wants us to tell him the truth. My daughter, I think I told this story last time, but when she was 16 years old, Instead of she had just come back from uh, a year in uh, South America, had a scholarship to go to another year in Germany, and instead of going at 16, she had thyroid cancer. And so in September, I remember being in that room, and uh, my wife is holding my hand, and she's crying, and she's holding my hand, and she looks at me, and she says, "Peter, if I could, I would take our daughter's cancer." That's a mom. I looked up and I said, God, why my daughter? She's just 16. She loves you. She speaks in three different languages, actually four, because she can speak German, Spanish, English, and Alabama. <laughs> we teach ASL at our home. Alabama is the second language. <laughs> I said, you know, why my daughter? I said, and she has led more people to Christ than many of our pastors that I know. And I said, God, I know five people who deserve cancer, but not my daughter. Now, the moment I said those words to God, he did not strike me down. He did not admonish me. He just listened to me. You don't want to get stuck with anger, resentment, and frustration. You need to be honest and tell God how you feel. Have you ever read the Psalms? Part of the Psalms is really cool, right? Part of the Psalms is stories of what? David being ticked off. Am I right? Tell God. Because one of the things Satan wants to do is to hold you captive to that feeling of frustration and anger and disappointment and discouragement. Do not bottle it up. Tell God. Then look, let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. Where's Jeremy? He was here in the 9 o'clock to service to tell me when I had to end. All right, verse 9. Says, but if I say I will not mention this word or speak anyone in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. A better translation will say, uh, uses the word but. 
you know, but he could not hold it up. I like the word but, B-U-T, not the B-U-T-T's. They're, they're, if you ever want to do a Bible study, look at how many times the Bible uses the, the word but. It's a conjunction, right? Any of you remember that? Schoolhouse rock, conjunction, you remember? <laughs> right. So, uh, in the, let me give you an illustration of the but. The, the, the three, three guys were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Do you remember the story in the, in the Bible? And they say to the king, we know that he can rescue us, right? Then he says, but if he doesn't, we will still worship him. And so you need to prepare for it. You need to tell God honestly about how you feel, but you need to persevere and keep on doing what you've been called to do. The moment you became a Christian, what did God call you to do? Any, any wild guesses? All right, let me help you. This is like teaching school. I talk to my students. They stare at me just like you're staring at me, <laughs> going like this. You know. uh, you've been called, huh? So close, but you're better than the students. You know. At least you were answering something that was biblically based. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you are going to be conformed to the image of who? Christ. That's the road you're headed. Think about this. You're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And Jesus said something horrific. He said, if this is how they treated me, how much worse will they treat you? Right? That's what it means. It's not gospel of health and wealth and prosperity, light. In fact, the word martyria, witness, is the word that we get the word martyr from, isn't it? Christians. And you need to persevere and see it through. Who did I call? Help me with your name. Josie, come on up here. I want you to listen carefully to this poem. You can get up here or stand right there, it doesn't matter. Miss Lucy, if she were here, she would say to you, see it through, see it through. My wife, if she were here, she would say to you, yes, the last year there have been days that I've been really discouraged. There have been days I've been ticked off at my six brothers and sisters who will not take care of mom at all. In fact, we bought my mother-in-law cellular phone, consumer cellular phone, and hang around her neck. They don't call unless we call them first to say, Mom wants to talk with you. 
There are days like today when mom is refusing to do anything that we've asked her to do, to eat breakfast. She's, she's developing a bed sore kind of thing, and my wife is treating it. Uh, and she's a nurse practitioner, obviously. And there are days when Pat wants to quit. In fact, this morning when my wife was struggling with my mother-in-law, I heard the voices and I walked into the bathroom, cracked the door open, and I said, because I was going to say some encouraging words, you know, I said, honey, and I'm telling you, it's like a Blair Rich Project, whatever that thing is. Her head spun around, her eyes got me, and she said, get out of here. I thought, that's when you close the door. Smart husbands do what they're asked to do. You know, I closed the door. Stood outside for a while, and when things got quiet, I opened the door, and I said to her, Pat, I want to thank you. Thanks. Thanks for taking care of your mom. Your six brothers and sisters could care less, but you care. So thank you for doing that. When I left, when I left, when I drove up at about 9.20 in the parking lot, I called her one more time. I said, hey, sweetie, how's it going? And she said, did you give mom her medicine? I said, well, I gave her the one pill that she has to eat before, 30 minutes before the other pill. Is that all you gave her? Yes. Did you feed her? No. She goes, well, thanks for the help. Bang. <laughs> I said, ah. Discouragement. You need to prepare for it. Discouragement, you need to tell the Lord how you feel. But discouragement, you need to persevere and go through with it. Then in verse, what's the next verse? Gary, what's the next verse? I'm going to throw it up there. See, before I was using the Bible, and now Gary said, I got a better way. All right. So this is the second time the word but occurs with a one T, B-U-T. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutions of my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will ever be, will never be forgotten. Okay? So proceed. The third thing is proceed with what? Proceed with God's presence in your life. Know that God is with you. Does that make sense? Know that he has never left you. He has always been there. Our problem, my problem, is I want to struggle by myself, not realizing he's right there. We need to proceed knowing that God is with us. Can you imagine the difference, Miss Lucy? What did she say? She never stopped between the three operations. She said, when things got me down, what did I do? I looked up. Because my strength, where? Comes from the Lord. Man, I wish you could have met her. She's a wonderful, wonderful. I always felt guilty standing next to her because I always felt like somehow I was unclean and I need to be asking forgiveness of her or something. But uh, she really believed that. She really did. I'm writing a little thing for a presentation on Lucy Wright, and I've got her journals and her letters that she's written. And uh, one of the little notes that she makes on the side of her Bible is she says, the captain has told us that we can't make it to land because of the fog. 
She said, we are, we, one day she said, we are praying that fog be removed. Next day, what does she write? The fog is gone and we've landed. Then she has another little insert in her journal in which she says, she was talking about this uh, uh, effort where, where, where she was just not making connections with people. And you know, you can share the gospel all you want. Sometimes they answer and sometimes what? They don't, right? And she was very frustrated. In her mind, she's struggling with, I'm giving you the message about eternal life. Why don't you just grab it? And she became discouraged. And she says, you know, I thought about staying in America. This was in 46, because she had returned to South Carolina. She says, but I need to go back, because I know who goes with me. Does that make sense? In your struggle. Last thing. Oh, I have one minute. How's that? One minute. What's the last verse, Gary? Verse 13. How many of you are looking in your Bibles, or how many of you are just looking up here? Uh, both? Who's doing both? See? Thank you, thank you. For the five hands, thank you so much. The rest of you. How many are taking notes, by the way? Same five people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So it says... What does it say? Uh, what is your name? Carly. Carly. Can you read that? Yeah. One of the things you want to do, Paul says, in everything give what? Thanks. In everything give thanks. One of the things in your discouragement, you need to proclaim God's praise in your life. My daughter has never complained about her cancer. She's complained about a lot of things. I'm just telling you. She called the other day. Her car broke down. Dad, I think it exploded. I said, no, I think it's just the, you know, the pressure valve that went off. You know, no, you know, I'm going to buy a new car. If I have to go to work to a crappy job, I want to drive in a nice car. <laughs> you know, and whatever. But she's never complained about her cancer. She said, Dad, one of, my greatest, my, one of my greatest joys was to get married and have grandchildren because I know how much you and Mom would have loved grandchildren, but she's single. She's never really complained about single. In fact, at her age now, she's 36, 37. She said, Dad, I really don't want to marry because he won't do what I ask him to do anyways. <laughs> but she's never complained. But she's given joy and thanksgiving to the Lord for the opportunity to invest her life in children. She's a vice principal at elementary school. She said, that's my joy. Those are my kids. And I'm investing my life. And I give God thanks that I have this life. How many of you ever said, who's the oldest person in this room? Who, who's older than 65? Raise your hand. Nobody older than 65? Oh, one. Oh, two. Like, we're the oldest? Really? Are you older? How old are you? 74 in a few days. 74 in what day? Are you married? Okay, the 22nd, he'll be 74. Okay, I just want to put that in there. Just, just helping you out in the marriage. Now, have you ever heard someone say this? It's better to be seen than to be viewed. 
right? Yeah, my, that's, that's the saying that I learned from my dad. He said, you know, it's better to be seen than to be viewed. You know, and, and, and my father wanted a sign when he died. You know, he got cremated but at the end of it. But he said, when I die, I want you to put a sign on my casket, me holding up. And it says, I'm, I don't look natural, I'm dead. You know, because we would go to certain, oh, he looks so natural. He's dead. You know? <laughs> Somehow I'm going to get back to the point. <laughs> no, the point is this. Even at 74, even at 84, even at 93, even at Pat having to take care of two women in her life that she quit her job to do, we need to give praise and thanksgiving. Number one, for the opportunity to tend to people who tended to us when we were young. Does that make sense? Young people that are sitting here, remember. Remember. One of your responsibilities is to take care of your parents. Don't push it off on someone else. My son, if he remember he was here last time, he knows this one thing. His only, the only reason he's alive is to take care of his mom and sister. Should he refuse to do that, I will kill him. <laughs> no? But we need to rejoice, because rejoicing does a couple things. One, it recognizes a provider, that he gave us the opportunity. Does that make sense? It also gives us, it acknowledges that there's a plan. There's something that comes out that God's working through our life. And then it gives us acceptance of the present. And then the knowledge that God, in our weakness, who reveals his strength. Who does that? God does. Do you think in your wildest imagination, my wife woke up one morning and said to me, hey, honey, when mom has dementia, let's move her into the house and we'll take care of her. She won't do anything we ask her to do. Her favorite words would be, ha. I mean, that's her favorite word to me. Rose, how you ha? My wife told me not to ever imitate it again or she'll slap me across the mouth. <laughs> you know? Uh, changing diapers, adult diapers, is not the best thing in the world. Do you think in your wildest imagination my wife woke up one morning and said, hey, wouldn't that be fun to do, Peter? Right? No, she didn't. But she realizes something. She cannot do it herself. When I watch my wife pick up her mom and hold her to her, and my mom, her mom is just dripping wet out of the shower, and she turns, and I put a towel on the seat, and she puts her mom down on the towel and says, says to her mom, Mom, I'm going to blow dry your hair. I watch the grace of God. Because let me tell you something. Had it not been for his power in her, I can tell you we would have walked out of that room and said, look, you don't want to do what we ask you to do? You don't want to eat the food we ask you to eat? You don't want to take the medicine we, the doctors has pr prescribed to you? And uh, basically what you're acting like is you want to die, then die. That's the fleshly part. And then God steps in and says, listen, thank me for the opportunity to take care of your moms. And because you're willing to do that, because you're willing to see it through, I will give you a strength to do that. You're going to be discouraged in life. 
For those of you that have not faced it, that's great. If you have, here's some things that you need to remember. Expect it and anticipate it. Be honest. Tell God how you feel about it. Keep on doing what God's asked you to do. And proceed knowing that the Lord is always with you. And in the midst of your darkest discouragement, praise God. Where was Paul and Silas? In jail. And what were they doing? Singing praises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time together. Thank you for these wonderful people that you have just allowed me the privilege of being with. And Father, if there's one person who's going through discouragement, I ask that they would, from this story, learn about you. And they would rely upon you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.